Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am not joined by my usual co-host, Tom. It's Toby this time. It's Toby. We're back with our, what I'm going to call our myth post-mortem. Yes, the <laughs> post-mortem of myth. Yeah, I think we, um, we recorded one after like seeing like the first four days of the festival or something like that. Yep. And I think we were a little over overzealous and thought that we might be able to <laughs> do sneak, some running sneak, updates. But... Sneak another one in there, but uh, it was a bit bit hard to find another time to oh, do everything. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Too, too many films, too much work. Too little spare time. Yes, yes, indeed. So, so here we are. Um, uh, week later. Week, week after Myth. Um, so what? Eighteen days, thirty plus films later. Yeah, something like that. Not yeah. for me, but for you. Mm. So we're gonna sit down. We're not gonna do a rundown on every film that we watch, just because that'd take too long. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll kind of highlight a couple of uh, the ones, like the ones we more enjoyed, and like yeah. yeah. Um, but first off, I want to get your opinion. How'd you find overall this year? Good, really good. Uh, a lot of things that I wasn't expecting to be there, but I really enjoyed. It was, yep. Programming this year was was probably the best in the last few years that I've been to. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I found there was a lot more things that I... I the Catered to you. Kind yeah, of I guess the, it, the ratio of good to bad films that I... Or, enjoyable films to less enjoyable films was more on the enjoyable side than the previous few years. Fair enough, yeah. Because I know a lot of people kind of thought this was a bit of a, I mean, the term maybe sleeper year? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, very much so. But yeah, in that I'm meaning it's more ones where you had to kind of search to find the yeah. the yeah. gems. Like there were like obviously the huge ones like, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Australian um, Story or whatever it was. Uh, Australian the Australian Dream. Dream yeah. um, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. A um, lot of stuff out of Khan. Um, but the, like to find the more interesting stuff, you kind of had to do a bit of a deep yeah, dive. It's more more than just looking at the title and recognizing something. You actually had to read the synopsis more so. Yeah, exactly, and see if this was because there weren't it, a lot of trailers for a lot of films as well. So no, no. Going off like yeah, really just reading, reading a few lines of a movie and being like, cool, I'll roll the dice on that yeah. one. <laughs> well. We'll start it off then with, uh, I think at the last recording, we, we cut it off to go and see a film. Yeah, The Wild Goose Lake. Which was definitely one that was a roll the dice on. <laughs> yes. It, um, Fantastic trailer. Yeah, one of the best trailers I've ever seen in the last couple of years. Um, do yourself a, fav- a favour, look it up online, The Wild Goose Lake. It's come out of Cannes. Uh, it's a Chinese film and it is just an awesome, no real dialogue, no real story, just Awesome action and shots cut to Rasputin by Boney M. Fantastic song. I mean, goddamn. And like, we were having the bet of like the likelihood of that song actually showing up in the film. Oh, should we ruin it? Yeah, oh man, it showed up and I was, <laughs> my jaw hit the floor. Yeah, that was not, not expected. No. But um, the film itself is like, it was fine. I think your description of it as a 40s felt like crime noir is probably the best description for it. It's like a modern take on a 40s noir, but it's keeping the pacing of yeah. a 40s noir. It was it was fine, it was just, it, it felt long. Yeah. And it wasn't that long of a film. It was it, under two hours, but, but it, it felt long and admittedly, we were wrecked after, you know, the previous few days. And yeah, yeah. We, we, and it was a nine o'clock session and things. Yeah, so. we <laughs> didn't see all of it. Yeah, it, it was one where it was just kind of lulling you to sleep a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just quite a bit. It was packed pack cinema, which was good. Mm. But, and it was, we didn't walk out on, in disgust or anything. It was just 
very slow, very late, and we were very tired. I was going to fall asleep if I yeah, stayed Yeah, I there. was pretty um, close to but it as well. All that being said, this is one where I am really looking forward to seeing the rest of it. Me when, too. <laughs> when it kind of pops up and things, I'll definitely check that out. But um, what was the next one that you had? Uh, well, I missed the next one, The Day Shall Come. Oh, uh, which was one of my favourite of yes, the entire festival. and I'm very bummed about that, but I'm kind of happy it's coming out on... Uh, it's getting it, a release, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, oh, the tra- since the festival's been on, I think now two tra- different trailers have dropped for it. So that one is, like, I'll be there opening night when that comes out. Yeah, that's uh, Chris Morris's new film, um, guy Lions. that I've been following. Yeah, obviously Four Lions, but then going back to stuff like Brass Eye, Jam, Nathan Barley. Um, I always forget about Nathan Barley. Yeah. Uh, amazing, amazing filmmaker. This is his new one, and it's kind of a counterpiece to Four Lions, in that where Four Lions was, was a satirical look at uh, would-be terrorists. This is taking a kind of satirical look at the law enforcement side of that, and it's kind of the FBI. Like, I think the latest trailer has the FBI director saying, like, all right, pitch me the next 9-11. <laughs> so essentially, we need to make our quotas. Let's, <laughs> let's find terrorists yeah. and arrest them. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And it, it, it's that wonderful Chris Morris, like, dark satirical comedy that actually ends with, like... On a dark note. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, seriousness and some stuff that could upset some people in there. And, yeah, yeah it's really good, though. I, it's like... Oh, is it like that ending of that, um... Oh, what's that remake of that old horror movie? It's done in black and white, and it's very... Takes place in like a shopping center. Uh, oh, the mist. The, the mist. mist. Yeah, that that's got a very bleak ending. Oh no, nothing's as bleak as <laughs> like spoiler alert for the mist is like shooting a kid, his kid in the face, and then it turning out to be all okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the darkest ending from the director of the Shawshank Redemption. Comes <laughs> feel Come. good, please. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not quite that level, but it's yeah along along those lines. Mm. But then, yeah, failing that, because I missed that one, we saw The Lodge the following night at the worst venue for me. <laughs> the Sofitel. Uh, let's, not, let's not get into yeah, the we, we, won't talk, we won't talk about that, but The Lodge was very fun. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. I did not know what to expect from this. Other, like, I watched the trailer and was like, okay, atmospheric kind of horror-ish. I'd almost say it's like an ultra-dark comedy. Yeah, like it. Because I don't want to spoil anything. That's with that. kind of borderline spoilery. Yeah, like, borderline. Well, yeah, I suppose, but it's, I don't want to say too much more than that. But but it's. I it's, did find it more humorous than. Anything it's got a else. real. It's got a real sick smirk to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess there. That's a good, good, good way to put it. It's yeah. This really weird, fun, interesting kind of shot thr- thriller. Yeah, I guess. yeah. It yeah. is a thriller. Shot beautifully, well acted. Riley like, Keough. I, I'm a big fan of her. She's. she's either Girl, she's the main girl, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Alicia Silverstone's also in there, and I kind of love that she's having a bit of a resurgence. Yeah, in, she was great because she was also in Killing of a Sacred Deer and stuff. Like she's oh, popping she up too. in yeah these indie kind of yeah more, these offbeat yeah. kind of things. Yeah, that was yeah. I really enjoyed that film. I would I would recommend going and seeing that. Just it's a lot of fun. Yeah, if you're looking for a kind of winter snowy set thriller that has a little bit more going for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but yeah, yeah, it's good film. Good yeah. film. Um, the next one I saw was Self Defense. Did you see anything between Lodge and Self Defense? Yeah, yeah, I went and saw um, Fire Will Come, which is a film out of Spain that won uh, the Uncertain Regard uh, Jury Prize at Cannes. I just picked it up because I had a f- kind of free pass to go to it and was like, oh yeah, I'll, I've got some time to kill before Art yep. of Self Defense. I'll go and watch this. It was good but slow. Like, I mean, there's the, it's a hard one to explain. It's. 
Well, not really. It's, it's a guy, <laughs> an arsonist is released from prison and then he goes back to his small rural farming town, yeah, lives yeah, with his mom, yeah, and it just ex- is... You explained that one to me. Yeah. It's just really nice, like, kind of slow... It's beautifully shot and kind of this nice little character study, but not a lot happens, and you know what's gonna... <laughs> yes. What's coming. Like, I mean, shit, the title is Fire Will Come. <laughs> so, like, you know something's... Yeah, something's happening. Something's up, so... Yeah. But, yeah, that... Yeah, I'll leave it. <laughs> but Art of Self-Defense by uh, Riley Stearns. Yeah. Our second uh, Eisenberg Imogen Poots film. Yeah, that was a bit of a letdown for me. It's one way I've noticed everyone fucking loves this film. Yeah, I don't. I don't mm. at all. Like, it, it was good. It was, it, it was really good. It was a letdown. It wasn't... I didn't, wasn't having high expectations for it, but I don't think it's as great as what everybody else is saying. It, yeah. It, it had its moments, definitely had its moments, and the, the main instructor was hilarious. Eisenberg Alessandro was, Nivola, I'm a big fan of that guy. And yeah, all the, like, the bit part actors, bit part or whatever, the, the, the supporting cast was, was really good, and Eisenberg mm. and Poots was really good as well. I don't know, it just seemed very paint-by-numbers, very standard, like... It, uh, Napoleon Dynamite-esque, I guess, to an extent. It's Just, like, yeah, but a, a dark kind of twisted Yeah. But, like, my problem with it, like, I, I didn't hate it, yeah, but I, I, didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it either, yeah. Um, it's that kind of nice, you know, a three-star kind mm. of thing. Um, but to, to me, it, it, the inconsistency in the balancing of the tone. Yes, yeah, very much. It, it shifted from, like, super Napoleon Dynamite, awkward, weird yep. humour to ultra darkness. Yeah, and it was very off-putting to an extent. Yeah, and it just, like, the the pendulum just swung too quickly either way. There was no kind of nice... Yeah, like, the ending was very, like, like that. It just happened. Yeah. There was no lead, like, the third act, there was no lead up to the final. There was, (laughs) but it wasn't, like, you know, a big build-up throughout the, th- the thing. It just mm. just happens. Five minutes and then, you know... It's like watching that film was like sitting in a hot spar, then jumping in a cold pool, then yeah. jumping back in the hot spar. Yeah. Like, it's just like... All, ooh, over, ah, <laughs> all over the shop. Yeah. Not to say... It, it, like, it was not bad by no, any stretch no, no, of the imagination. Not just not... Didn't work for me as much as it works for everyone else, it yeah, seems. So, same way I feel about it as well. Mm. Well, it's all art and self-defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, Imogen Poots, man, I, I dig her a lot as an actress. Um, kind of, yeah, like, she's, I think, uh, someone to really watch for in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, hadn't se- I don't remember seeing her in anything really mm. beforehand. She first came on my radar with Green Room, and then, um, oh, yeah, yeah, and then like Popstar as well. And oh, yeah, she's in that too. Yeah. Yeah, the f- next one was In Fabric. Yeah, Peter Strickland's new film. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, right? Like, I, I, this is one I had a really high expectations for because I loved The Duke of Burgundy, Peter yeah. Strickland's previous film. And, uh, I mean, you watch the trailer for this one and it's A24 and it looks just super fun and weird and schlocky. And um, without kind of, you know, if you've seen the trailer, it's the film about a haunted dress that yeah. is essentially killing people or, like, taking over this woman's life. Um, two stories in one though. yeah this is where like as vague and unspoilery as possible it, it, it sh- it's two movies in one where at almost the exact hour like yeah, halfway, halfway mark of the film just swaps. it becomes a different film and I'm fine with that happening but it, it, it had that pr- for me the problem was I learned the scenario the characters and everything of that first story learned to enjoy yeah. like, like them 
and now all of a sudden you're Third asking gone. me to do that again yeah. with someone else. I, I'd be okay with that second half if it was maybe 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But the, he just dragged it out for it. Or if the it, film's over two hours. Or which if was, the second half there was no like there wasn't two stories. They would it was just better there edited. Was, there was a connection between. Yeah, there was a, yeah. If it was better edited, like I don't want to go into too many spoilers either, but. You know, that could have been done because it's central to that shopping centre. Mm. And they, both people go there and they could have just, you know, shot... They could them. have been something a little bit more there. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of... I didn't have any real hopes for it. I was really only going to see it with Chris. And I, yeah, wasn't looking forward to it, wasn't not looking forward to it. And it, You were just like, ah, oh, cool, yeah, I'm seeing I'll this one now. Yeah, just go see this one. And there was something when I walked out of that, when I walked out of that session... It, just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. It's one where I think if I had been watching that at like a standard cinema or at home or something, I think watching it with the audience that we had made it a more enjoyable kind of schlocky yeah. B-grade experience. Yeah. Whereas I think if I was watching that like, you know, on DVD or like, you know, Amazon or something at home, I'd be like, yeah. Eh. yeah. Even more so, eh. Yeah, I would have probably turned it off if I was watching it yeah. somewhere else. But the festival audience kind of helped yeah. that one along. Yeah. I didn't see the next one. <laughs> well, I'll just quickly breeze. Uh, oh, like, yeah, we, I saw Them That Follow. Um, I'll just kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, not really going to delve into that one too much. I do want to point out one that I did see. Um, a Palestinian film by Eli Suleiman uh, called It Must Be Heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got a special mention at Cannes this year. Uh, the reason I want to bring it up uh, for Criterion listeners is it is the closest thing I've ever seen to a Jacques Tati film. It's essentially his version of playtime to a certain degree. I know Toby's sitting here being like, what are you, yeah, what, are you what is about? this gibberish you're talking about? <laughs> but uh, just for Criterion listeners, um, definitely worth a look. Really fun, playful, and I, I was sitting there, it's a lot of little vignettes, and him, he, it's similar to Tati, he is playing himself, like, you know, he's cast himself in the lead, and kind of meandering through these little vignettes, and it's really nice, Yeah, really nice. <laughs> That's good. Mm. Anything else? Uh, oh, I got a few later, but what do you? What have you got? Greener Grass. Oh, yes. <laughs> I loved Greener Grass. Greener Grass. Uh, written and directed by Josh, Jocelyn DeBau and uh, Dawn Lube. I hope I'm pronouncing their names right. I really do. I'm probably butchering them. It's been a while since they've been on Comedy Bang Bang, so I don't know how to pronounce them. <laughs> Greener Grass is just Comedy Bang Bang the movie. Yeah. The female version. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's very... Um, reminded me a lot of... Uh, Edward Scissorhands, to an extent, just the way it's shot the, and the, the style set and the style of it is very, of it. very much like that. And then it was just, just absurd, just stupid, great comedy. They're just right, like the comedy that I love that not a lot of people really like. Yeah, there were there were a few walkouts in my session. There were a one. couple of mine as well. Uh, but I noticed every person that walked out was over the age of fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I, that's an I, indicator. Yeah, I, I went and saw it with my little sister and we were both pissing ourselves throughout the whole thing. But there weren't many other laughs mm. throughout the cinema and it was a pretty packed cinema. So yeah. it was kind of kind of strange to me, but also not because it is only for oh, X amount super of... super niche and a specific style of comedy. I'm, I'm quite surprised that it actually played at Myth. Oh, I'm not. No, this is the type of weird little film yeah. that... Um, but yeah, no, a great, weird sense of humor um bizarre uh the trailer actually dropped for it today as we're recording this um and the pull quotes in the trailer are like describing it like if wes anderson directed black mirror or if david lynch directed an episode of desperate housewives 
Like this, the kind of weirdness and satirical look at like suburban life, I guess. Uh, there's this one scene where they're one of the one of the children gets turned into a dog. Yeah, uh, that's in the trailer. And the kid stays as a dog and it's never addressed why he changed and into the a dad, dog. And Beck Bennett as the dad loving him now more because he's a dog because he's good at sports it, now. It's just and it's never oh. it's never addressed and it's just played off like normal. Never and explained. It, it just yeah. it's it's perfect. And it's got a wonderful wonderful cast. Uh, the writer directors they are the two leads in the film as well. And then you've got a kind of who's who of the um, kind of weird old comedy scene. You've got uh, Beck Bennett, Neil Casey, Mary Holland, yeah. um, Darcy Carden for all you Good Place and Barry fans. <laughs> she plays the school teacher, Miss Human. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, just a lot of weirdness. It, it's great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It's one that is not for everyone, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, do we want to talk about Recorder now or should I talk about Les Mis? Do Les Mis. We'll do Les Mis? All right. I've got, I've got three more to talk about. Okay. Well, Les Mis um, is right up there for me as one of the best of the festival. Um, it tied for the uh, jury prize at Cannes with another film that I absolutely fucking loved, which I'll get to briefly. But, yeah, Les Mis was amazing. Uh, it's uh, For those that don't know, it's not based off the Victor Hugo novel it or the musical or anything. It's... It is set in the town that he grew up in, though. Uh, so that's sort of, and where he wrote Les Mis, so that's where the oh, kind of okay. title comes from. And the closest thing I can have been describing it to people as is, it's similar to the the film La Haine about oh, yeah, La Haine. Yeah, in terms of just like a weird little, not weird, but like a small, gritty, realistic kind of French crime film. Yeah. It's about a new detective who's come to join the special unit who patrol this one little area. Um, where there's, you know, the gypsy gang, you've got the housing commission, you've got the kid gangs, you've got all of these people and trying to keep the balance between them all and, like, the, at the centre of it is this corrupt cop and um, an incident happens that is caught on drone, uh, on drone footage and so it's everyone kind of trying to find this drone and this footage for their own gains against the other sides and things. Okay. And, all I'll say is the last 15 minutes is jaw-dropping. Yeah, you, you did tell me about this, and I, I think I did get a ticket to it, but then had to cancel, I can't remember. Yeah, it was one I was so... This was like smack bang in the middle of the festival. This, I, I'm like 20 films in at this point. I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> this was at like 9 o'clock at night or something as well, and I was just like, ugh, I just I can't be bothered for this. Yeah. Went and sat down, and then I think I messaged you after the film saying, like, I'm fucking jacked! Yeah. I'm pumped, man! Let's do this! Let's go see yeah. another film! I'm pretty sure you did as well. <laughs> like, it got me so amped up and excited. I was like, yeah, movies! <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those ones where it is just such a fucking weird... and Like, it has... There's so much happening in this story. It even involves fucking a lion cub like so much weirdness happens is it getting a, a release i can't remember uh i think so like definitely like worldwide but um yeah, yeah i'm sure australia i would this is one that i would say keep an eye out for toward, like uh well, i'd say like november december kind of time because this is one i would definitely see getting a uh Fine. foreign language yeah. nomination at the oscars for yeah. sure yeah cool or at least you know it's the, you know uh, independent Reco spirit yeah, award at least like something. you know yeah it's it's gonna, one that's going to pop up yeah. towards the award season. Yeah, that's one I'll be going and seeing because everything you've said has just made me... Really yeah, it's, it's, it's not just one of my favourite of the festival, it's one of my favourites of the year. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I guess the next one? 
Yeah. Recorder? Sure. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Recorder, the, uh, what is it, the Martha... The Marion Stokes documentary. Marion Stokes, yes. Yeah, Marion Stokes project, I should say. Yes. That was great. That was, that was really good. It's, mm. I don't know what, to, I don't know where to start with that one. I guess she was a activist, very staunch political activist from the 70s, 70s, 60s, 60s 70s, 70s, yeah. Um, who, after the, what was it, the Israeli... It was the Iranian, Iranian hostage, crisis. hostage crisis. That's In right. In 77. She started recording every news, um, every news piece or news show on TV. Because she noticed very quickly that they would, the narrative was changing. So she was... I guess trying to hold them accountable to yeah. an extent. Or have a record of... Yeah, and so she did this for 35 years, even up until like when CNN and Fox News and all the 24-hour news cycles started to become a thing. She'd record 24 hours a day, I seven days it, a week. They say in the documentary, it's something like 70,000 She had tapes. She had eight, eight or nine, one of the, I think it was the driver, says she had eight or nine properties that were just full of tapes. Yeah eight or nine properties in New York that they owned mm. full of cassette tapes throughout their whole year. It was, I can't remember how many like truckloads or something. It was 12, 12 semi-trailers. Like, semi oh, it was like, it ended up being like shipping containers yeah, and like stuff. Yeah, like from one, from, from New York to LA where it's all ho hosted now in an archive, which is, which is great. Mm. Um, but she's, yeah, she's it, an interesting lady. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting documentary in that like, it's kind of two, twofold. Like it's a documentary about her as a person and why she would be doing this but and that's fine but the thing that I was not expecting from the film and found way more fascinating was it's a dissection and a look at the creation of news media yeah and in that it starts in 19 she started recording in 77 with the Iranian hostage crisis and how, noticing that the narrative was changing and changing and then out of that and the constant needing of updates of news, uh, Dateline was born, yep. the first kind of late night primetime news channel, uh, news show. And then in 79, CNN was created, the first 24 hour news. And it's, yeah. it's essentially- Chronicalizing. Yeah, the, the growth of news media and then eventually the manipulation of that, the bastardization, the commercialization, and how that thing that was supposed to inform people has been twisted into this weird yes. kind of... Yes, biases from yeah. side, and you never really end up seeing the whole picture. No, it's no. It's just about, yeah. Well, it, it's, the, the film very cleverly as well never attempts to paint a picture of this network's doing bad, this network's no, doing good. Yeah, which is... It's just saying this is something that is now on record. Yeah, this And happens. this is something that's undeniably happened, not just on one station, on every network, even like, you know, CNN, Fox, ABC, everyone's manipulating the news to their own... Yeah, to their own advantage. Yeah, and it's... And now, because of, um, of Marion, there is this record of it, and it's super fascinating. That's what I found more interesting. Yeah. Well. Not so much her, because... That's what I mean, yeah, whatever. that was the, that was the more interesting... And I was went into the documentary expecting it to be about her and a kind of dissection of, hey, here's this weird lady that... Mm. And I expected her to be like a cat lady type person. You see, like, you know. I, I, um, I, I thought it was, uh, I, love, I love the news. I mm. hate the news. I have a love-hate relationship with news and news media. But I was expecting it more to be, yeah, along the lines of her and why she did it. Not mm. so much of a dissection about yeah. what has actually happened. So it kind of surprised me in that aspect. Like, even though I was going to, I thought I'd enjoy it, but 
I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting because I didn't realize that that's what the actual, the main subject matter would really be. Yeah, exactly. And that it, it became <coughs> a, a lot more of a fascinating film, I think, because of that. Yeah, I think like, so it, too. It, I would have got, if it was just purely based on her, I probably would have walked out. Um, realistically, just yeah, and, just gotten yeah. bored with it and just gotten bored with, you know, everything that she was about and whatnot and... Because that that that's not enough. There isn't enough there to sustain a whole feature length documentary. No, no, that's it. If it was just solely about her, it would be like a great twenty minute short. Yeah, like so a great YouTube documentary yeah. kind of thing. You yeah, know, a good subject for something like that, but not for a feature. But by branching out into this giant section on news media, it made it great. And it's also a lot more um, uh, accessible, I guess. Yeah. For, for most for a lot of people. Yeah. Because as well, like it's it. The, like the news footage and the, the segments that are showed, it's kind of also chronicling through history as well. Yeah. You get like major big things. events. Yeah, like the, you're, you've told the people. LA riots, uh, the Rodney King beating, September 11, like the yeah. scene of that where it just plays out like in real time on the four different channels. Yeah, that's um, that's really that's interesting. one of the most interesting things I've seen in a film this year was the when it gets to September 11 and the news footage of that. That was, yeah, don't I, really I, want to spoil yeah, don't that. want to spoil, yeah. but that's, that's it's, a really interesting, like, yeah, really interesting part of it. Mm. Um, well, we'll move on quickly. I'll just breeze through. Because yeah, I've got, like, my other ones are just docos, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the note of doco, I saw a couple this year that were kind of very film-based, yep. like really, really film-centric. <laughs> Lots of movies about film. Uh, so I watched a doco, Freakin' Uncut, which was just... I don't think I asked you about that. How was that? Oh, it was great. It was ex it was exactly what I, I wanted thought, yeah. in that it's... William Friedkin, love him or hate him, I, I find him endlessly entertaining because of... the Exorcist director? Exorcist, yep. French Connection, yep. uh, Sorcerer, To Live and Die in L.A. Yep. Um, I find him, like, endlessly entertaining because yeah. of his arrogance. It, it's like watching Tarantino. You're like... You're just entertaining. Like, is he still alive? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so it's filmed in his house, and he's got his high, <laughs> high old man pants on, and he's like sitting there. He's like, I've got my cup of delicious hot piping, like piping hot black delicious coffee here, ready to sit. Like, and he just goes, and he's he's always been one of those guys. His arrogance, like he does not give a fuck, and he talks shit about everyone and everything, <laughs> and it's just going through the kind of major points of his career, and it's him. You know, talking about the making of The Exorcist, uh, French Connection, how Sorcerer bombed, like yeah. all of these things. And, you know, the interviews, are, uh, you've got a bunch of people that have worked, like Ellen Burstyn from Exorcist. Um, I was bummed there was no uh, Hackman interview, but like Hackman's long retired and things. So, But uh, Willem Dafoe, William Peterson, like okay. all these people. And then you've also got from the filmmaking side, Wes Anderson, uh, Edgar Wright, Tarantino, oh, really? like all of these people weighing yeah. in on William Friedkin. And it's... It's just—it's nothing amazing, but it's, if you're a fan of Friedkin, seek it out. <laughs> will, that, will that get a release or Amazon or something like that? I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being like a Hulu or an Amazon yeah, kind of just something. a VOD yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, similar as well. I also saw the doco "You Don't Know Me," which oh, is about yeah. Showgirls, <laughs> um, and whether or not Showgirls is a forgotten masterpiece. Is it? it? I don't think it is at all. <laughs> See my episode of "You Haven't Seen That" podcast. <laughs> um, but it's, I did not dig this doco. I really wanted to enjoy it for like some camp fun. And, but they just, there was no cohesion to the argument. Oh, really? They were just like, because it's fun. And I'm like, that's. So is it like the, uh, the alien doco we saw to an extent? Kind of, yeah. Like a lack of a yeah. no, narrative cohesion. There was yeah. no real through line. And they were like, 
It started really strong because it was like, here's someone who thinks Showgirls is trash. Yeah. Here's the counterpoint of why Showgirls is great. Counterpoint to that again, and then it just ended up being yeah. like, but now they're doing drag shows and there's a musical, and you're like, that's that's not an argument. <laughs> if it's a good film or no. not. <laughs> so that one was a little bit messy, but mm. yeah. Now that I think about it, that I didn't see that, but that Alien Doco was my most disappointing film from Myth, I think. Yeah, it, it just didn't. It had nothing. It had no substance. Which is a bummer because his previous films about like um, people versus George Lucas. Um, oh, is it that guy? Yeah, and oh, uh, the that's a really good fifty-two seventy-eight about the shower scene in Psycho. Oh, okay, because uh, mm. that um, the George Lucas one's really good. Oh, and he like has a little one. bit more of a kind of narrative structure to them, but this one just kind of seemed to be... All over the place, and I didn't really interview people that had yeah. anything to say. Anyway, we're not talking about that one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, yeah, the next one I saw was The Collingwood Docker, which oh, yeah. you didn't see. Um, For international listeners, explain... Uh, Collingwood, uh, yeah, there Explain is what Collingwood, the de- Collingwood Docker <laughs> is. Collingwood Docker. Uh, so I'll be brief, but Co- uh, Collingwood is a professional football team that plays in the AFL, Australia's football, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's a documentary following the coach and three players at three different, like, all at different times in their careers. So someone who is, so the coach is new. He's only been in the role for a couple of years. He was going to lose his job because they were going so bad. Uh, and then they interviewed, one of the other subjects was a second or third year player, then there was someone at the mid-point mid, mid of their career, and then someone who was winding down and was their last season. And it was, it, was, it was fascinating. It was some of the footage that they got, uh, like for example, the, the guy, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name now, Beams, I think, not on Beams, anyway, doesn't matter. I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know. Glazed over, I am glazed over I here. know. Um, <laughs> But he, it, they filmed his exit interview, so him getting getting fired pretty much. Mm. And the cameras were in there and just watching the emotion go, like, wash over his face and disagreeing that he's got no more time and he can still play. It was gut-wrenching. But I found it not to necessarily be about the Collingwood football team, who are a very divisive team in the AFL. You either love them or you hate them. Mm-hmm. It was more about mental health and and how these like how professional the athletes, the game takes on yeah, them. and how professional yeah. athletes in general deal with the mental health struggles That's and cool. like the pressure that that is on you, like from not only your teammates and family but the general public, the media, and all of that. And it was yeah, just a really interesting ride. It's a short doco, only fifty-eight minutes long. Mm. It's coming out on ABC later on this year. I'd highly recommend it if if you like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was really good. Really enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And I saw it. Uh, it had got um, an audience award as well. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. It was oh, in there okay. for the audience awards in the doco section, oh, which is kind of cool. Didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. There were two AFL docos that missed this year. There was yeah. one and, and the Australian Dream, which yeah. won best documentary. Mm. Yes, as it should. <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoy that. If you like footy, go and watch it. Mm. it. Comes out ABC. Nice. It's one where, like, based on your recommendation, I will probably yeah. It's not a sport documentary. That's it's not. It's not a documentary about a team. It's about which makes me intrigued. Yeah, to watch which it. is why I think um like the crowd was all Collingwood supporters. They're all wearing. I went with my dad. We're both Collingwood supporters. Yeah. Um, and they're all wearing, you know, their their colours and everything. But then you'd still get like. Just miff people in there watching it and just they, being like, sure, let's yeah, watch this. But this sounds it. interesting. Yes, it was good. Mm. Uh, I'll jump in here with uh, one of my other favourites of the festival and also one of my other favourites of the year. Uh, it was the film that tied with Les Mis for the uh, jury prize at Cannes, 
Bacarau oh, God, from Brazil. I, I missed that, and I'm very, very annoyed that I missed that one. Wow, this movie was great. I was... It, it's... I did not really know what to expect. There's a short trailer out there that's kind of ambiguous, yeah. and the write-up was really ambiguous. All I know is, like, Brazilian weird kind of <laughs> film, and I knew Udo Kier was in it, so I was like, cool. Yep. <laughs> um, it starts as one film, and then it's like this, uh, you're following this girl, and she's traveling back home to her small, like, you know, rural village and things, and... Um, you know, the, the mayor who's up for re-election has cut off their water supply until he gets re-elected and it's like the corruptness and it's a self-contained village and you think it's going to be kind of following them and their kind of struggle to get that, like, you know, sort out all their shit and it, there's just kind of these elements of oddness yep. throughout it and then at about the hour mark something happens and it shifts into full-blown schlock genre and oh, really? I was amazed. Oh, really? Like, Holy crap, this is amazing schlock genre, like to the point of like a lot of horrific violence happening and having an audience, saw that audience cheering and laughing at violence really? level schlock. Okay. And I was like, wow, this won the jury prize at Cannes. And it, it is a like. Is it like Tarantino kind of schlock? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But like. Where, where it goes as a story is not what you expect at all, and I'm not going to spoil, but it is, if you like some weird genre fun, chuck this one on when you can, when it comes out. It is coming out, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, and stick with it. Yeah. Like, you'll know, <laughs> like, what I mean, like, at the, I think it's at the direct hour mark. Yeah. It shifts gears and changes into a completely different film, and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Hmm. But then, um, I mean, otherwise, the only one or two I'd want to talk about is probably Martha. Yeah, that's the only one I want to talk about as well. Yeah, I'll let you take this one. Well, that was my favourite film. Yes. Favourite film from this festival, I think. No, for sure, Stephen. He's alright. No, he's not. <laughs> Stop it, Stephen. Mm -hmm. uh, Martha is about Martha Cooper. It's directed by Selena Miles, who's an Australian lady from Queensland. And it... It's about, yeah, Martha Cooper, who is best known for being the photographer for Wild Style, which is the, well, I guess the first graffiti, big first graffiti book that was released worldwide, well, eventually, mm -hmm. and it chronicles her life. S subway art as well. Yeah, and Subway art, which was after. Um, and it, yeah, chronicles her life of how she got started and what she did, you know, beforehand. And yeah, after the after she became big with with re releasing these two books and following her life from there on, and it was it, kind of like more the the um, the late recognition of her. Yeah, work. Well, well, that's what I was about to say. Um, I didn't realize because I've I've known about her for a very very long time, and I didn't realize that she didn't really become known until my age. She was thirty three, thirty four, and she'd been working since she was sixteen, mm. and. She was just doing regular, you know, photog um, photojournalism in New York and just film, like, doing a lot of people and things like that. But she made a big break when she was a lot later in her life, I suppose. And it was really, really interesting. Yeah. I just, it just ticked every box for me. She was there as well and there was a Q&A afterward, which was great. She loves her Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> rocks so you wanted to be a grandma <laughs> yeah yeah i do um yeah i can't say a bad thing about it it was a lot better than i was expecting uh it was shot beautifully it was just yeah the subject was amazing and there was a lot of old footage that 
nope, not many people have seen. A lot of old photos not many people have mm. seen. And just, just blew my mind, I guess. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. Can't say a bad thing about it. I don't, yeah, can't well, say a bad thing. Mm. And I guess the last one I'll touch on is um, I went and saw Little Monsters, which is an yeah. Australian... Uh, comes out soon, I think. ...zombie movie um, about... Uh, like randomly starring Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. <laughs> yeah, that's the strange part. Yeah, <laughs> and it's um, I want to know how they got Lupita. Lupita. I, she's just a cool lady who likes yeah. to do genre like, stuff. If you think about it, this, she's, this, is, this is the second horror film she's been in this year because she was. Oh, she was in us. Wasn't yeah, she? yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the, what makes it interesting is it's it ends up kind of settling in and becoming just a standard zombie film. But what makes it interesting and will get people's attention is it's the premise and it's essentially a school teacher and the, you know, the chaperone kind of parent helping um, going out to kind of a wilderness park in Australia and then zombies come in. And so it's a teacher having to look after her five and six year olds. (laughs) Like, you know, and save them and keep them oblivious to what's actually happening. So, Which is an original, like, a take on a zombie film I've never seen before. I just picture Lee. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, we saw, I took her to go see it with us because I'm like, I had the best audience for this. I sat, was sitting next to a prep teacher for this. And there's, like, the point where, like, she's singing her songs about, like, Get In The Circle. And he's like, I sing that song every day. I'm like, <laughs> But, yeah, no, it was, it's, it's not amazing. Um, it, like I said, it does kind of settle into just a standard zombie film, but it's a unique Take. set. It, yeah, a unique yeah. something that I hadn't seen done with the genre before, which makes which it, made it, it definitely makes it a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. more interesting in my eyes because yeah, you've seen once you've seen one zombie film, you've seen pretty much all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Once you get in, you realize you're in the safe location building and you're surrounded, and you've got to try and figure yeah. out. It, it gets into that territory, but it's but just like very, every zombie movie. Does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't really think of any. That have like a unique kind of premise, really. That is, is like probably that. the last one would be Dawn. Like, I mean, Shaun of the Dead even ends up in they're in the Winchester surround yeah. and they've got to get like <laughs> yeah. that's what I mean. Like, it becomes it's a tired trope, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is the trope of the of the genre, but it's always the case. Yeah. It's like Shaun of the Dead being a romantic comedy, and it's about more about their relationship than it is the zombies. Like yeah. this as well had a new kind of take, yeah. which was good. Um, it's one where it was a lot filthier in terms of. <laughs> kind of crass humour than I was expecting. So I think it'll end up becoming a bit of a cult Australian film because of that. Yeah, well, when you when you told me about that, because I haven't seen it, I, I was kind of surprised because all the trailers say it's one way and it is that way, but mm. there is also another element. That yeah, like obviously they're putting their marketing out on Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. Obviously. They're not the lead. Yeah. There's another guy who is the lead which, of the film. Which is what kind of surprised me because yeah. I w- wasn't expecting that but mm. I haven't seen it so yeah. it's just made me want to see it even more because of that reason mm. but I guess that's kind of the quick rundown on uh, the a bunch of the films we saw there are a few others in there but we won't bother um, but now I kind of want to ask so at the end of this all at the end of the list favorite film uh, Martha Martha yeah and then Valerian okay Martha and then Vivarium. He says as his microphone falls <laughs> off enthusiastically. Yeah. The la- last and the first film were my favourites. Um, Which is kind of awesome bookending, I guess. Yeah, it, it, there was something about Vivarium that has just stuck with me since I since that first night that I saw it. Like, it, it's just it's just sitting with me, and I I, I just keep thinking about it. I yeah. really want to see it again. Mm. It was just very very enjoyable. I just I love. Eisenberg and Poots and that. Yeah. Well, that lead, uh, for me, I would still say nothing has topped Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That just yeah. kind of hit 
everything for me, and yeah. then I would say post that for me, it's a tie of Lamers and Baccarat. Yeah. Um, my other one I want to ask then, kind of similar to you were just saying how much you love Eisenberg and Imogen Poots. Yeah. Do you have a favorite performance out of any film oh, you've I seen? I hadn't even thought about that. Um, Pitt and Once Upon a Time is pretty damn amazing. Yeah. Like, pretty amazing. He, he steals that film yeah, in, with his kind of stoicness. Yeah, that's just that, that LSD scene. Oh. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, yeah. Everyone's um, seen it by now. Uh, other than that, best favourite performance? Maybe maybe the girls from um, from Green Grass. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Because like, um, that's a unique, yeah, hard thing to pull. The, and the fact that they wrote and directed it as yeah, well. Yeah, the, the shorter one, the brown hair. Who yeah, gives the, a, gives the, the baby, main girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who gives the baby away. Mm. I can't remember what her name, actress's name is. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe that probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was really good. Nice. Um, I would say yeah, either them or I hadn't even. Yeah, that's a great pick. I'd say probably Poots, Imogen Poots and Vivarium for me. Yeah, crushed she's it. so good in that. Yeah. And even Eisenberg in that was really... I, I much preferred Eisenberg in Vivarium than... Actually, I'll take that back. Eisenberg in, <laughs> in self-defense was pretty great because yeah. he was pretty autistic in that and it was... See, Vivarium was something I hadn't seen him do for quite a while, though, yeah, which is I, what I liked. It was not the typecast Jesse Eisenberg. I, I agree. And I would say that, yeah, he's kind of typecast in self-defense, but... He, he does it with a bit more flair. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, I don't I, know. I get it's, what you're saying. He, yeah. he, that, that just sits with me as well for some mm. reason. Fair enough. Well, I guess that'll probably wrap us up for our uh, myth post-mortem for 2019. 2019? Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Hopefully we've kind of shined a light on a couple of films that you might want to check out. And yeah. Yeah. And otherwise, I'll be back in a fortnight's time with a regular episode Finally. <laughs> Apologies, it's taken us a while. I mean, I was on my honeymoon and then the film festival excuses, happened. Excuses, excuses. Yeah, yeah. But I know we're, we're definitely back. We've started recording and we're going to be kind of recording a whole bunch in succession because uh, Tom and Cole have a baby on the way. So that's... Um, Banking episode. Yeah, so we can kind of keep them coming out. So we'll be back in a fortnight's time with Ozu's Tokyo Story. But uh, otherwise, if you have any questions, queries, recommendations... Or just want to say hi, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Otherwise, we'll be back in a fortnight. Toby? Yeah, have a good night. Thanks for joining yeah, me. Yeah, you're, you're always overzealous to say goodbye. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> but no, thanks for doing this with us. And thanks for having me. That was a good myth. I enjoyed this one. I was super sick last year, so I wasn't able to do anything. <laughs> so you're happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll uh, catch you later. Good night. Bye. We had the best time at your party. The wife and I.